Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer who retrained as a nutrition scientist. I'm committed to staying up to date with research in the well-being space and sharing with you credible and reliable content about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life. In other words, a vibrant life. On Vibrant Lives podcast, I interview experts about nutrition, physical health and mental health who explain their areas of expertise and provide you with practical knowledge that you can use to improve your own well-being. I also produce my 5-minute food fact series, which are short episodes where I give you the facts about a nutrition-related topic. For example, I've done an episode about alcohol. And I publish a monthly newsletter with topical well-being news and reviews of health-related books that I've enjoyed and found useful. Before I introduce today's guest, I'll quickly acknowledge that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent medical conditions. And of course, it's never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I have a really interesting episode for you. I'll be talking with Sarah Rusbatch, and Sarah is a health and well-being coach, a sobriety and grey area drinking coach, and a motivational speaker. The main topic of our conversation today is grey area drinking. On a personal note, this is interesting to me, not because I think I have a problem with alcohol consumption, but having said that, Even if I drink a small amount, one or two glasses of wine, as I've aged, I've found that it impacts my sleep and how I feel the next day. So any information about alcohol consumption and its effects piques my interest. I'll ask Sarah to explain what grey area drinking means, but in a nutshell, it refers to the type of drinking where you don't have a frank alcohol addiction but you're not happy with your relationship with alcohol and it's starting to feel like it's taking more than it's giving. Okay, that's enough from me. Let's hear from our expert, Sarah Rusbatch. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast. So, Sarah, before we dive into your work as both a health and wellbeing um, coach and a sobriety and grey area drinking coach and a motivational speaker, I would like to find out a few things about you and some of the things that you enjoy. So, Sarah, where did you grow up? I grew up in Edinburgh in Scotland, um, moved around a lot around different cities in the UK, moved back to Edinburgh and then back down to Manchester, moved to London in my early 20s. And then in 2010, we moved to Perth, Western Australia, and I've been here ever since. Oh, that's great. And uh, your favourite or preferred form of exercise? It's changed over the years. Um, used to be a lot of running. Um, now it's more strength training. Okay. And Sarah, do you have a favourite book? It would be The Nightingale by Kristen mm-hmm. Hanna uh, as a fiction book. And as a non-fiction book, it would be Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Excellent. That's on my to-be-read pile Um behind me in my bookshelf. And Sarah, are you enjoying listening to anything at the moment? It could be a music, an audio book, for example. I'm listening to a really good audio book called Find Your Unicorn Space by Eve Rodsky, which I'm really enjoying. Excellent. And Sarah, your favourite holiday destination? 
it would be back home to the UK to see my family and friends. Oh, lovely. And how often do you get to do that, you know, not during COVID in quotes, normal times? Yeah, I've generally been back every two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with COVID, it was a four-year break. So it was wow. a lot of time of not seeing people. Yeah, that's really tough. My sister's married to a Scottish fellow who also grew up in England like you. And yeah, they had a tough few years there, but they did go back for Christmas. So that was great. Let's talk about grey area drinking, one of your specialties. So the term is one that um, you've mentioned is quite well known in the US, not so well known here in Australia, but I think people are understanding more and more what it means. However, it would be great to hear from an expert what grey area drinking actually means. So if you think about someone's drinking as being on a scale of one to 10, historically, we've had the conversation around alcohol that you're an alcoholic or you're not. And an alcoholic is someone who drinks every day. Some It's what we've decided, like mm. the stereotype, if you think about movies, TV shows, books, anything that we've seen where someone is portraying an alcoholic, they're usually drinking daily, waking up in the morning and having to have a drink. They're homeless. Yeah. They lose their driving license, their job, their family. And it's not that the term alcoholic is actually really detrimental because if we don't fall into that category – then we don't ask for help because yeah. what else are we? Whereas grey area drinking looks at the scale of someone's drinking. So if we look at that one to 10 scale, one mm. being someone who rarely drinks, maybe has a glass of champagne at a wedding and 10 being someone with that physical dependency yeah. who needs to have medical support to stop drinking because it's really important that we acknowledge that alcohol is one of only three substances that the human body can die from withdrawal from, then we've got a one and a 10. What's in the middle? What's in the middle? Gray area drinking, I classify as being about a four to an eight on that scale. So what does it look like then? What are some of the signs to look out for if either you suspect you, you might be a gray area drinker yourself or someone you love is? What are some of the signs? So... It might be that you have rules around your drinking because Mm -hmm. people who don't have a problem with drinking don't make rules around their drinking. Um, It might be that we are constantly finding that we set out to only have one or two and we're always drinking more. It might be that we are really noticing alcohol is taking up more mental headspace. We're planning when we're going to drink next. We're negotiating Mm -hmm. whether or not we're going to drink tonight. We are noticing that we feel terrible the day after and we really shouldn't be doing it, but we continue to do it. And Mm. so we're kind of in that place where alcohol's past the tipping point and it's starting to take more than it's giving, but we're struggling to make the changes that perhaps would take it back to to a, a more safer, regular place to drink. Yeah, that one of the things you just said then, it's taking more than it's giving. Um, that comes through in a lot of your literature, your newsletters, your website. And I thought that was a really great way of describing it because I guess there is a point at which it's it's not really making you have fun anymore. It's um, causing regret or headaches or all sorts of things. And just so we can be clear, Sarah, what would be the difference between a grey area drinking and an actual frank alcohol addiction? Like someone who is an alcoholic may need different help from someone who is a grey area drinker. The difference with grey area drinkers is that they're high functioning. Mm. So 
they are going to work. They're holding down jobs. I was drinking at a really dysfunctional level and I was still running half marathons. I was going to work. I was raising kids, but my drinking was certainly problematic. And so I think the difference becomes when we develop that full physical addiction is we need to drink in the mornings. And so we can't hold down jobs. We can't do function in society as much, but you'd be amazed at how much the human body can drink continuously and daily and regularly and still allow us to go about living our life as if there's nothing that's that's happening behind closed doors. Yeah. And maybe other people would have no idea, like you can hide um, what's going on. So you say that um, in April 2019, you quit booze forever and you've never looked back. So I'm very keen to dive into how and why you did that and how that has ultimately informed your career. But what did you do before that? As a job, you mean? Yes, sorry, as a job. Oh, yeah, so I was a recruitment, um, a recruiter and a career coach. Mm-hmm. So I did that from when I graduated from uni right through until 2020. 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was over 20 years working in recruitment. Um, and then in 2020, I retrained as a health coach and a grey area drinking coach. Excellent. Your um, career in recruitment, was that one where it was kind of a boozy culture, like there might be lunches and celebrations when people got jobs and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was London in the late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was quite often that you'd go for lunch at 12 and not come back. Like that was pretty standard um, of the drinking culture back then. And that that's amazing, isn't it? I, I'm not sure, but I can't imagine that happens these days, but I could be totally wrong. Who knows? So back to your personal experience, what motivated you to quit alcohol? Was it one event where you woke up and thought, right, that's it? Or was it just a series of things? I think it was a series of reaching a steady awareness of knowing that I couldn't moderate, mm-hmm. knowing that alcohol was really having a detrimental impact on my life and having to make that decision, do I want to carry on living my life the way I am now or do yeah. I want to make a change? And, you know, growing up in the UK in the in the 80s and 90s, it alcohol was everywhere like it never occurred to me that I wouldn't drink it was just how I mean I started drinking at 14 as most of my peers did Mm -hmm. and that was your initiation into you know I watched my parents every time they socialized they drank it was just what you did and what you expected to do and then university which was another three years of drinking and then moving to London working in recruitment there was always someone to go out with after work Monday night was the same as a Friday night you would still go out and get drunk it wasn't you know, in London, no one drives, you get the tube everywhere. So there was just always someone that you would be going out drinking with after work. And so, but at that point, it never was problematic. I was a social drinker. I just socialized a lot, right? And the the time for me that it became more problematic was after I made the move to Perth. And I had two young kids in very quick succession. And I'd left behind my career, my friends, my family. And then I was in a new city, in a new country, didn't know anyone with two young kids. And it was hard. It was yeah. really hard. And I was really homesick and I was mm. really lonely and I was really sad. And that's when I started drinking in a way that was different to how I drank before. Yeah. 
I totally hear you. I had the same experience. I moved to Hong Kong with a three-week-old baby and a two-year-old, left my career, left my family, left my friends. It's horribly lonely, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, <laughs> so it's hard, yes. So according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, the majority of Australians aged 14 and over consume alcohol, and 25% of those people at least once a month have four or more drinks in a single setting, which is an amount that's considered unsafe. And over the last 50 years in Australia, the amount of alcohol consumed per capita has steadily increased. So I think it's fair to say um, that we live in a drinking culture uh, similar to what you described in the UK. So in a society where drinking is so widespread and drunken behaviour is almost rewarded, drunken antics are laughed at and sort of seen as funny, has it been really difficult to stick with the no drinking at times? Um, It was difficult in the two years before I stopped. Um, And maybe I should just share the Mm. end of that story of kind of getting to the point of moving to Perth and and the the children and, and drinking changing. And then it started creeping up to different drinking at home on my own. And by 2017, I was drinking quite dysfunctionally. And a couple of things had happened that were quite frightening for me in terms of my drinking. And I made the decision to take a break. And I took a break in April 2017. And I thought I would do 21 days. Um, and I went on to do 100. And mm. I felt great. I felt really, really positive. I lost weight. I had energy. I was sleeping really well. My mental health and anxiety had, you know, everything just felt so much better. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't prepared for other people's opinion of me not drinking, which was because I was Sarah the party girl. They just knew me as Sarah the party girl that, you know, come to my house before we go out, come to my house after, bring your kids, let's open a bottle. You know, like that was the, the, the life that I was living. And so when I took that break, people were kind of like, oh, when are you drinking again? You know, when when shall we catch up again? And and that's not to say anything bad on them. That was just mm. the, their, how they were used to me being. Yeah. And so I went back to drinking after my 100 days thinking, oh, I'll be able to moderate now. I'll be able to um, to just be someone who drinks every now and then. But it didn't work like that. And I yeah. was straight back to drinking the same amount as before. And what followed for me was two years of trying to control my drinking, trying to moderate, never being able to, taking breaks, going back to drinking, binging, hating myself, taking breaks. And it was just this cycle that by the time it got to April 2019, I was so done. I was so sick of that cycle. And I knew that every time I took a break, I felt great. I knew that everything in my life was better every time I took a break from alcohol. So then it just made clear as day sight to me that it was like, yeah, everything's better when you don't drink so you just need to not drink and I made that decision April 2019 and so it wasn't hard after that because Mm. I this wasn't just a decision that I'd made overnight this is in the making yeah I mean it sounds um emotionally and I expect physically exhausting like tying yourself up in knots the whole time about you know trying to quit not quitting feeling bad I mean that's tough 
And you mentioned that your friends um, put some pressure on you just because they knew you as Sarah the party girl and, you know, they probably thought that if you were there it would mean lots of fun, lots of laughs, let's have a drink. Uh, And so I think that stopping drinking can be quite confronting for people because they do worry about perhaps losing some of their friends or changing their friendship groups. Is that something that you experienced or have seen other people experience? Absolutely, yeah, because Mm. if you, like the thing about grey area drinkers is that we tend to surround ourselves with other grey area drinkers. So if you make the decision to quit, most of your friends are going to, struggle with that decision because they're sad they want you there with them getting pissed with them and then they feel threatened by the fact that you're not drinking now and so it can be really like confronting for them as well and and so it goes through a period of change and Mm. um and then there will be certain people that your friendship will still stay as strong regardless of whether you're drinking and there'll be others where it doesn't and maybe that's okay. Maybe friends are for a season of our lives and maybe Mm. there are certain people that are meant to be there when we go through our boozy days, but they then fall away when we remove alcohol to Mm. make space for new people to come in who are more aligned to our new values in life. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be that some friends come on the journey with you. They might think, wow, look at Sarah. She looks amazing. She's got so much energy. I might try that as well. So yeah, absolutely. So could you share with us, Sarah, some tips? If someone's listening and thinking that they would like to try um, quitting alcohol, and we will get to your alcohol-free challenge, which is a brilliant way to do that, but just a few tips on some things they can use, some tricks they can use to start quitting. Yeah, look, I think it has to come down to recognising the role alcohol plays in your life and recognising where it adds value and where it's taking away um, to be able to ask yourself the question, will my life be better with, without alcohol? Um, and so starting to really reflect on how much do I drink? How often do I drink? Who with? If I notice that I've got a night where I can't drink because I'm on antibiotics or I'm driving or whatever, is my immediate feeling disappointment? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Do I feel like, because I used to be like, oh, I can't drink, so there's no point going. Uh, that was pretty much my right. attitude to any kind of event. Um, if I wasn't able to drink, I would just be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, and so notice that that your mindset around alcohol yeah. and, and then take a short break, 30 days, 60 days. And if you can't do 30 days, then you've probably got a problem, right? Because right. if we can't take 30 days off booze, then there's a problem there. And, and it's really important to remember there's no shame if there's a problem because alcohol is one of the top five most addictive substances in the world. Absolutely. Most of us are addicted to it, even though we don't want to admit it. Mm, And mm. to be addicted to it, you don't have to drink every day. You can be addicted and not drink every day, but you can be addicted and find that anytime you feel stressed or uncomfortable emotions, you turn to alcohol. Anytime you have um, a certain experience, your first thought is, oh, I must have a drink. You know, that there is a level of addiction, which could be an emotional addiction when, because most of us are using alcohol to numb from uncomfortable emotions or to switch off at the end of a really stressful, busy day. Yeah. And so notice why we drink as well is a really big factor. Yeah. So you need to put in some effort, I'm hearing, like people need to really examine their thoughts and feelings around alcohol is probably the first step and work out why 
they want to quit. Yeah, and I think, you know, we can go out there and we can do a Feb fast or a dry July, but if yeah. all we do is cross off the days and then get pissed again the day that it ends, we've learned nothing. And in some ways that can be more problematic than not taking a break at all. And mm. so we need to look at what role alcohol has in our life and where it's adding and where it's taking away. Yeah, that that's um that's true. And it's probably, if possible for people, it would it help to recruit someone who you know cheers you on whether it's your partner or a friend who might try and do it with you possibly but that mm. won't always be available to a lot yeah of people. that's true um, that's you true. know we can't expect others to do it with us just because we've decided to yeah that's right so once the decision has been made and someone stops drinking what are some of the things i know lots of things happen and you've shared a lot on you have an excellent guide to quitting drinking um, and you've shared a lot of positive outcomes that happened to you. So could you just share a couple with us? What can people expect um, once they stop drinking? So sleep massively improves because mm. alcohol completely destroys our sleep. Even if it's only one or two glasses, we know that we don't get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Um, skin, I'd yeah. say it's the best anti-aging tonic out there. I've just turned 47 and I think my skin looks younger wow. than it did when I was like 41. And so it definitely makes a big difference there. Reduced in bloating. A lot of my clients lose weight. A lot of them find that they have so much more time and energy. Mm. They feel more positive. They have reduced anxiety. They start to think about their lives in a much bigger way of what's possible and what they want to achieve because alcohol it keeps us small. It keeps yeah. our life small. We, we become habitual doing the same things with the same people all the time. We stop dreaming. We stop having hope. We stop reaching for goals. And, and what I find for so many of my clients is once they remove alcohol, their life opens up so much. Wow, that's wonderful. And technically, alcohol is a depressant. So yeah. you're right. It sort of brings us down. Uh, one of the things you mentioned there was um, ex people find that they have extra time, which is something you've experienced. So how have you filled your extra time? Um, well, study um, yeah. and coaching mm -hmm. and um, time with my family, reading, researching, learning, self-development. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there aren't enough hours in the day for me to do the things that I want to yeah, do. Yeah, that's great. And it sounds like you've got this level of enthusiasm to and so much you want to do which is wonderful mm. uh, so well let's talk about the alcohol free challenge so your mission is to support as many women as possible to change their relationship with alcohol and reconnect to themselves and create a happier healthier and more fulfilling life and we'll talk about that but I just wanted to first ask you why did you decide to focus on women I think because I do think men and women drink for different mm. reasons and I could relate so much to the reasons that women drink because I've been there myself and I wanted to create a safe space and a community for women to share and yeah. support with each other which perhaps feels more inclusive when it is women mm. only uh, you know we talk about sex we talk about periods we talk about menopause we talk about relationships there's a lot that we talk about that I don't think the conversation would be quite the same if it was men and women in the group yeah yeah that sounds great and so throughout the year you run alcohol free challenges and the next one's coming up in a few days on the 1st of April how do you deliver the course to people 
So every day there is information um, on a different aspect of the impact of alcohol on anxiety, on sleep, on hormones. Um, there are tools, there are resources, there are strategies, there are guest expert talks. There is a, um, a strategy book on things you can mm -hmm. do when the cravings hit. There's a Facebook support group. There's daily accountability. So it's a really robust, extensive and comprehensive program that has now supported thousands of wow. women to change their relationship with alcohol. Congratulations. That's amazing. And how much time uh, would someone need to commit each day to follow the course? Oh, you could probably spend 15 to 30 minutes a mm. day. Okay. And what if someone starts and then, you know, stumbles a bit, maybe goes out for a friend's birthday or something and has a drink? Do you support them to get back into the program because I, I imagine that must happen from time to time yeah it does happen mm. and and I just say that this is a month of learning you'll be learning so much about your neural pathways your brain how big alcohol deliberately targets women there is so much information yeah. that you're going to learn over 30 days that one slip up does not mean that the program is wasted for some people it can take multiple day ones before yeah. they really get that success that they're looking for but the learning that you'll get from this program will stay with you forever mm. and I guess your own example um, is testament to that you, you tried several times to quit alcohol and then eventually quit for good so that's really nice for people to know like you have a real real example there for them do you observe a power in creating a community for women? Um, people are all working towards the same goal. Is that something that you've really enjoyed watching? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I have the the, the community. Mm. I've got 14,000 in there now and it's um, a global community and, um, and it's incredible. I love oh, that's it. fantastic. And can you share perhaps um, without using any names, just some of the feedback or outcomes that you've had, like some things people have said to you about the program? I mean, most people will come to me and just say it went above and beyond anything that they expected it to deliver. Um, I've got clients who've said they've tried AA, they've tried medical support, they've tried GPs, wow. drug and alcohol counsellors, and this has been the only thing that works. And I think it is because of the mm. community of other women that you have um, being able to share stories and connections. And I, like my wider group is the one that has 14,000, but you have a private group for the yep. specific challenge which has, you know, two to 300 usually um, and is a really supportive, intimate group. Oh, that sounds absolutely amazing. And what a great way to to embark on a challenge that is going to be very hard for some people with all that support around them. So in addition to your alcohol-free challenges, you offer a free guide taking break from alcohol on your website, which I've read and it's absolutely great. Plus you do a Rediscovering Me course. And what's that about? So that's a program for people who've removed alcohol and want to go on a journey of deeper self-discovery because quite often if we've been drinking for 20, 30, mm. 40 years, we kind of don't even know who we are without booze. And so this is a program of, of self-discovery. Yeah, yeah. And I guess your previous career in recruitment, you probably use some of those skills to help people find their way into perhaps a new career for some people, that kind of thing. Yeah, I have lots of clients that, that change career after they've removed alcohol. And another thing you do is you offer a sugar-free challenge course, which I believe is currently happening in March at the moment. And sugar consumption, like alcohol, 
It's a huge and complex topic, so we can't really talk about the whole thing, but I thought we could just talk about a couple of points. Um, Sarah, is sugar addictive? Absolutely. Yeah. It lights up the reward center of the brain in exactly the same way as cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think there's a, or is there a link between excess alcohol consumption and sugar consumption? Absolutely, because they both do the same thing. Yeah. And so the biggest thing that my clients, when they remove alcohol, they swap alcohol for right. sugar. And so that's why I run the sugar challenges. Uh, that That's a, yeah, they go hand in hand. I can see that. And what are some of the negative health impacts that sugar can have on people? Um, type 2 diabetes, weight gain, inflammation, Alzheimer's, <laughs> cancer, dementia, heart disease. <laughs> the I list mean, goes on. Where do you want me to yeah. start, right? Yeah, I think people are becoming more and more aware of that now, and particularly in relation to ultra-processed foods where it's hiding in there under all sorts of bizarre-sounding names. And so what's the aim then of your sugar-free challenge? It's education. Um to support women to understand how to reduce sugar cravings um, and how to find other ways to soothe themselves instead of comfort yeah. eating. Um, and it's how to get off that blood sugar roller coaster. Mm. And is it delivered in a similar fashion to the alcohol free challenge? Yeah, yeah. Great. So there's a community around it as yes. well. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find that um, many of your clients do both courses? Yeah, that's why I do it. Yeah. So lots of them remove alcohol and then they will work on sugar. But, you know, I say to some of them, you don't have to come onto the sugar one until six months later. Like if 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 not, if if sugar is preventing you from drinking, we'll yeah. use the sugar for now to get alcohol out of your system. So we're breaking those habits because alcohol is the only drug we have to justify not taking. It's the one that's the hardest in some ways because people are like, oh, go on, don't yeah. be so boring, just have one. And so we've got to deal with all of that. And then once we've got strong in our sobriety, then we can work mm. on the sugar. And I believe from what I've read on your website, it, for most people, including you, it just becomes easier and easier and easier. It's like working a muscle. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So you have a page on your website. I really love it. It's recommending alcohol-free drinks. And I think that market is growing substantially. Uh, and personally, I think it's brilliant. My husband likes um, zero alcohol beer. Uh, he, he reckons it tastes exactly the same. I don't really drink beer, so I can't speak to that. But um, there's some alcohol-free gins that I really like. One's called Cloven Doe and the other one is Seedlip. What are some of your favourites? Um, so they're all on yeah. my website. So there's different alcohol-free champagnes. I love the Naughty. There is um, some really nice rosés. I recommend some of the alcohol-free beers. Um, so yeah, there's a, I, I love a whole range of them. Some of them are awful <laughs> and some of them are amazing. And the ones that I love are all on my website. Excellent, excellent. Yes, I did try um, an alcohol-free red wine. Oh, it was about a year ago and it ended up in the sink. It wasn't so good. <laughs> So, and Sarah, what are some of the most important life lessons that you've learned? I think the main things for me have been around trusting your gut instinct. It's very rarely wrong. Um, the different, the difficulty for me was when I was drinking, I just couldn't hear it anymore. And so I lost that self-connection. And that's been the greatest gift of removing alcohol has been starting to tune into myself again and being able to understand what my needs yeah. are and, um, and, and be able to meet those um being able to model to my yeah. kids 
Um, because it's not about what we teach them. It's about what we model to them. And for me now to be able to model to them that I can go and have a great night with my friends and not touch a drop of alcohol shows them that actually there is another way. You don't have to grow up just drinking. Yeah, that's interesting because it sounds like from what you said earlier, the role modeling you saw was um, your parents would drink, um, which, you know, is very common. (laughs) I'm not saying anything negative about your parents, but it's just what we see, isn't it? Um, and so your children yeah. are seeing a different approach. Uh, how old were they, if you don't mind me asking, when you stopped drinking? Um, they were seven and nine. So fairly young. Um, that's great. And Sarah, the final question that I like to ask all my guests is, if you could recommend two things people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? I think I can guess. Oh, we're no surprise. <laughs> yeah. Cut out booze, cut out yeah, sugar. Perfect. Um, and then watch all the benefits fly yeah, in. Yeah. And I really like throughout this discussion, you've alluded to the fact that giving up alcohol has really given you more time and, and more connection to yourself. So I think that's so important. And for women, it's very easy to get buried amongst, you know, looking after other people and life in general. So it's lovely to hear that you've been able to get in touch with yourself and do so many things that you love. Yeah, absolutely. So Sarah, if someone wants to follow you and have a look at what you're doing, what's the best place for them to do that? So head to my website, sarahrusbatch.com. You can find me on Instagram at sarahrusbatch. And you can join my free Facebook community, the Women's Wellbeing Collective. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sarah. And I'll put a link to all of those things in the show notes. Right. Brilliant. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. And I do hope you enjoyed that episode with the inspiring Sarah Rusbatch. If you did, please share the episode and tell your friends about it because word of mouth is still the best way for people to find out about Vibrant Lives podcast. If you're feeling extra enthusiastic, please take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and it will help people find my podcast and I'm always so grateful for that. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast and on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast. On my website, vibrantlivespodcast.com, you'll find a library of all my previous podcast episodes and reviews of books that I recommend, books about health and well-being that is, And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I'll keep you up to date with health and well-being news and I promise that it is not spammy. Please DM me or send me an email via the contacts page on my website and let me know what you'd like to hear more of or someone you'd like me to interview or if you'd just like to say hi. I always love to hear from you, my listeners. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Eat well, move well, think well, live vibrantly.